yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring, boring, boring. Okay, one thing the game needs is more people like you, you, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. Here's Saltalamachia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. Baseball isn't boring. You know why? Because of people like Tori Lovello. Tori Lovello, and here we go. Baseball isn't boring. We are on a roll this week. Heim Bloom came on Baseball isn't boring. National news, Tori. National news. The place that people go to when they want to get the good stuff is the Baseball isn't boring podcast. Monday it was Heim Bloom. And yes, it's a return to Tuesdays with Tori. Remember that? <laughs> I, I do wait is that self-proclaimed this is where everybody wants to go to get the breaking news or is Not the it a- breaking news i said the good stuff oh the just, good stuff yeah. just the good yeah. stuff you you are you are the third manager we launched this podcast a about a month ago you Love are the it. third manager to appear um david ross okay which you saw, like you like say say what's up, Rob? The other day, yes, I was like yeah. in the middle of the a greatness amongst managers at the winter meetings, and then okay. uh, Alex Cora also. So yeah, well, two you know two former Boston Red Sox guys. I mean, they're they're locks. You know, you you got to pull off somebody that you don't know. Can you pull off somebody that you're not tight with? You have that. Well, that's type what of- I do. I talk to people who talk to people who talk to people, and yeah. so I mean, and, and this is a national. This is a national conversation i, I mean, love the guy, it the guy the guy who launched it tory the guy who launched the conversation had played for plays for the white Sox, and the last team he played for was the dodgers wait I mean, who's that come on come on think about it white Sox, dodgers and he's currently with the dodgers and he he has a book coming out on february 28th is that going to be jk JK. Joe Kelly, yeah. Well, I like to go back to the humble beginnings. Of course, I remember Tuesday was with Tori. That was uh that was a really special time for me. I mean, we had a championship run. We won a world championship in Boston. I'll never forget that coming up on our 10-year anniversary. Um, and look at you've gone all the way to um launching books with Joe Kelly. It doesn't get any better than that. No, it really doesn't. And, and the funny thing is, every time someone says, I said, where you got this book coming out with Joe Kelly. The first, it brings a smile to their face. And yeah. I like the, I like that. I don't know what's thinking behind those eyes, but as long yeah. as it's making people smile, because you you manage Joe. Yeah. I was around Joe. Um, <laughs> yeah, and you you probably thought back in let's see, you last year was with the Red Sox was what 2016. My last year was 16. I think he was there through 18. Oh, 18. Maybe? Oh yeah, World Series hero. So yeah. yeah so, but if if I told you in 2016. That, yeah. that I, Rob Bradford would be writing a book with Joe Kelly, you thought, well, maybe not. But there uh, you yeah. go. It's a very unusual pairing. First of all, um, you are a journalist extraordinaire. It doesn't oh. surprise me that you land big names, no doubt about it. Joe Kelly was an unbelievable teammate. And you're right. Every time you hear the name, you smile because there's a certain silliness and quirkiness to him that he adds to everything that he does. But I will say this, there's fire in his right arm. He comes out and competes as hard as anybody from seven to 10 or whenever the time that we were together as a starting pitcher. So I got a chance to watch him for 75 to hundred pitches. 
there were flames coming out of his right arm and he got big outs and that's all i remember do you remember the winter weekend which is a, a case people don't know it's sort of this winter event for the red sox it was at foxwoods and this yeah. was his first off season with the red sox and and he came over to our radio station which you were so familiar with and just jumps in a chair and says i'm going to win the american league cy young yeah, I, I don't remember it that well, but it doesn't surprise me whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, but we're not here to talk about him. We got enough time to talk about him. That's that's for book promotion time. We're talking about you, Tori Lavello, one of the finest managers in the in all of baseball. Um, so I will ask you this question first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I usually, you know, every once in a while, you have, you've been nice enough to pop on the podcast or show, whatever. And I want to ask you, like, how has baseball, how has managing a baseball team changed for Tori Lovello since you started managing a baseball team? Yeah, man, that's a good question. I'm definitely not the same, the same manager I was in 2017. Um, You know, I I love my time uh, back then when I first became uh, the manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks, and we we had a great run. We had a couple great runs, and um, you know, one of them resulted in us getting to the playoffs and I, I, I was who I was back then. Um, but I've learned so much over the course of the past six plus seasons. I learned that, um, you know, holding players accountable doesn't mean you have to be an a-hole. You know, I, I, I took the mindset, like, I want to, I want to get on the right side of all these players. I want to make sure that they, they, um, you know, come to work with a good headspace that they know what they're doing every single day. And the communication was going to be there. And I learned that from Tito Francona. Everybody knows who he is. Um, but I started to switch gears a little bit because I felt like I had to get on a different teaching hat. We have a very young, young core of guys. And, and the big thing that I, I, that stood out to me is that you can get a stand up every once in a while. I built some street cred with these guys. And I need to hold them accountable. And I need—I have the biggest voice in the room. And if I got to come out and be and square them up a little bit, uh, I feel very comfortable doing that today. So, uh, reading between the lines, you were always a guy people love playing for, and you perceived as a player's manager, right? Right. First of all, you look young. Congratulations. I appreciate um, that. You act young. Congratulations. And but but so what you're saying is that you had to be a little bit more of a hard ass. Yeah, I think so. I think every manager has to be able to. Um, um, talk to somebody and say, "Hey, get your rear and gear. It's time." And uh, you know, I, with with a with a veteran type of team that I walked into in seventeen, I could probably play that card a little bit less because that that group knew what they were trying to get to. It was Paul Goldschmidt, it was Zach Granke, it was AJ Pollock, um, Patrick Corbin. Those guys were on their own path, and I just needed to kind of get out of the way and support them, love them up the best that I could. But you know, is is it's I've grown over the past six years. Yeah, you gotta have you gotta have um gotta have the ability to to stand on the other side of the room and say, hey, look, this is where I'm at and I don't like what's happening. I do that more often now because I feel like our young players need to respond in a different way. But I believe in one thing. I believe in loving and supporting the players. Um I want to be a players manager. I want to be somebody that they know can empathize with them and that can create a, the the right mindset. And you know. Prior to the game, we have a very loose mindset. It is about, you know, not worrying about how I'm going to sit in the clubhouse and and fit in. And can I get up from my locker and walk across the food room and go to talk to player A or B? Those are the those are the challenges of the young player. They just feel so insecure when they walk into the clubhouse. I try to erase that. Try to get that get through that as soon as possible for creating a certain comfort. But at seven o'clock, you better be ready to go. And that's what that's what I hold these guys to every single night. First of all, if you- 
do I get your adrenaline running now? I mean, do you get, I feel like I'm like getting you fired up. I yeah, like. for sure. For sure. That's exactly, yeah, I'm, I'm, I get fired up. You know yeah, what? I know I, you do. I'm Let's go manage. The, the, the Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh mindset, right? You, you start talking about it, you get fired up. I mean, those are, those are two great, great leaders and you can feel it from them every time you talk to them. Right. And so that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to inspire and to, uh, to, to motivate. So, um, so here's a question for you, which is you, you, like you said, you out of the gate, you have a, a lot of success and then you have to sort of turn the roster over and it becomes younger. Now <laughs> you're sitting in this division, which is like the shock and awe division, which mm -hmm. is obviously, you know, it's all, it's been the Dodgers for a few years, but now it's also the, the Padres. And so when you get in there, so I'm gonna, I'll am i let you workshop your first spring training speech if you want. Mm -hmm. But you have you have the Padres who are spending money like I've never seen anyone. You have the Dodgers spending. But what do you say? What do you say to these guys? Because you still have you have a good team. I don't have yeah. to rattle off the guys on your team who are good that a lot of places in baseball, a lot of teams in baseball really, really wish they were on their team, your team. Yeah. But. What is the thing that you would say to them if, like, tomorrow you walked in and said, okay, you know what? Here's, here's what's what, fellas. Yeah, my first speech back in 17 is totally different than the speech today. You know, 17, um, I was just trying to get my concepts out there, and I talked about winning the inch. And, you know, I go back to the Any Given Sunday um, movie with Al Pacino where he gets these guys out on the – um, in a halftime speech, and he talks about, the well, one inch. We, get, we need one inch. How do we get that inch? That got me. That got me started, and uh, I've been thinking about it for a long time about winning the inch. And there's inches all over the baseball field. How am I going to square up that that one inch mistake on that's that's off of the plate or on the plate in my hitting zone? How am I going to work to to prepare to throw a pitch one inch on the plate so it doesn't get hit and it's in the safe zone? How am I going to work to get that one inch jump in right field? to catch a ball that most people would not catch. So there's millions of inches all over the field. And I talked about that and it led to preparation and effort. That, that's, that's been non-negotiable. I talk about winning the inch all the time, every single year, but this year, um, I'll, it'll, it'll have the same, the same, um, uh, tone that it's had over the past couple of years is we're young. We, uh, don't have the same payroll. Let's embrace it. And let's let's go out there and show people how good we can be by being prepared, by winning the inch and not backing down from anybody. We've had some young teams that have gone into some big situations and just got to overrun a little bit. I think when you have the type of team that the Dodgers do and the Padres do, if you don't go in there knowing that you're walking and standing as tall as you possibly can, they, they just overwhelm you. We fell victim of that in, in maybe 2021, but 2022, we had a totally different cast of characters. And I talked about that a lot last year. We are who we are. We are not a big market team. We're not going to go out there, but we create from within. The opportunity is here. These we're, we're the boys that can go out there and do it together. And we fight together and pull on the same rope together every single day. Special things can happen. And I will continue to talk about that. And we embrace it. We embrace the challenge of playing inside of the NLS with a $100 million payroll compared to a $300 million payroll. Go ahead and buy your team. We're going to find a way to slug it out with you. Let's go. Yeah, right. <laughs> I love it. See? Yeah. You helped me. Did I help you? I mean, that feels like you for I can sure. send you the recording of this so you can you can transcribe it if you want and remember it. Yeah, for sure. What's funny really is good. I appreciate that. You know, I these kids have heard, and a lot of these players, you know, like um some players can do a little imitation of me, right? And I hear them kind of going at it. 
I know I've said the same thing so many times to so many guys that they can kind of finish what I'm going to say. I look at, I look at them and I'm like, you want to finish what I'm going to say? And every once in a while it kind of breaks up the room and then they'll say it exactly the way I want to say it. So I think it's part of the culture. You know, I got, I got to repeat the same thing over and over again to make sure that they got the standard. And then beyond that, I kind of add in new twists every year. So the new twists will happen this spring training. What they are, I don't know. I'm still thinking. Yeah, well, what, so you, so what you're saying is that you've gave that speech before. This isn't. Um, I've given the win the inch speech, win the inch speech. Yeah, the win the inch, but you took it, you took it to the level of, of I'm paraphrasing. Let them have their payroll. We'll worry about you know we got enough. Yeah, we got enough guys. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. Right? So correct that that kind of what was what I said last year. You know we can't compete in dollars and cents, but we can't compete on the baseball field. And let's embrace that. That's who we are. That's Arizona Diamondback baseball. And let's learn to love that. And I will tell you what, Rob, not one person, not one player has ever complained about the inadequacies and the imbalance of the payroll system. It is never uttered in our clubhouse. Our guys know it's part of the challenge. It's part of being an Arizona Diamondback. Especially when you get off, if you if you get that some of that success and you have some success from last year, you get some success. Now you go. And now you're like, hey, wait a second, we can do this. And yeah. and by the way, it doesn't hurt that like you have, for instance, you have one of the best pitchers in baseball. Like yeah. uh, uh, it's science. That doesn't hurt. And and, yeah. and to say that and say, okay, you know what? I've seen this foundation of this team, and then we have these other guys who are coming up. And that is the great story. There, that is the story they're going to write songs about. Yeah, right? there you go. I agree. You can I agree. Do that if you want. I agree. Right. I like songs. Maybe you know, like maybe write movies more than I songs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but you're right. We have good players. That's the bottom line. Our front office has brought in really talented players via trade, via the draft. Ami Sade, who was the architect of of a lot inside of the Boston Red Sox um, championship runs, is doing the same thing here. And uh, he's got a cast of characters underneath him that are working hard to bring in these the, the players that we've gotten. So we've got good players and arguably one of the best right-handed pitchers in baseball in Zach Allen. You're right. Um, so we got a lot to build on. We got a lot to build on. We got good players. But the beauty of having good players is that these young, youthful players have been raised inside of our system and they are a band of brothers. And you've heard that. And it's a very loose phrase. You know, I, I don't want to compare it to anything um, – uh, in the military, because that's totally different. That's life or death. But what I what I want to say is we have a brotherhood inside of our clubhouse that carries these guys around day by day. They know what they what they like. They don't like on and off the field. Their their wives, their girlfriends, they all know one another. And that matters. That chemistry matters. And they have been raised inside of our clubhouse, inside of our culture, and their wives know each other. And it's very healthy. It's a lot of fun for me to watch every single day as these young players go out and compete together. How good is Zach Gallon? I mean, you've been around some good guys. Yeah. How good uh, is he? As good a starting pitcher as I've ever been around. I've been around some really good ones. You know, you take Johnny Lester and um, uh, Clay Buckholtz, who had an unbelievable run for the 13th season. Um, you know, I, I I played with the big unit. Um I, I've been around some really good starting pitching, and Zach Gallen has the the God-given abilities, and those are all – everybody has those when you get to this level. His separator is his preparation. He does it with a seriousness and a looseness, 
and asks questions and then goes out there and executes on such a high level. And when he has this stuff, he's he's as good as anybody in the National League. That's pretty good. You sold me. There you yeah. go. Um, yeah. So the other uh, another thing real quick. What's it gonna, so I just thought of this. I just figured this out. You're going to be going up against two of your former guys. Now, you went up against one of your former guys. Now, thank you, Red Sox. You're you're dispersing these players, these stars all over your division. Yeah. Thank you, Red Sox. Xander Bogarts, <laughs> San Diego, Mookie Betts, Los yeah. Angeles. All right. You 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 have yet to see you haven't seen Xander in a few years. You know what he's about. You went through all, you know, the the time in Boston. That's great. The question I have is about Mookie. Yeah. How we don't get a chance to see I, I didn't get I obviously covered Mookie for a long time. But I haven't seen him every day like I used to. Tell me about Mookie, the the player now compared to the player when you coached him. Um. Well, it, it's hard to talk about um, his excellence on on a level that hasn't been talked about before. Everybody sees the the ease to his game, um, the the beauty, the art that he shows every single day and he's never out of any at bat. He makes great defensive plays. He, you know, he hadn't played second base and God knows how long and he makes two phenomenal plays that basically saves the Dodgers a game against us. And I, it leaves me shaking my head and, you know, he's like my son. Right. And I, I look back when he makes a place and, uh, you know, externally I'm, I'm, I'm watching internally. I'm crying, you know, because it's just breaking my heart that he just continues to beat us. But you got to give into it because he's just a natural talent. The shift in where Mookie Betts is today is when I when I was with him uh, through the 16th season, and it was parts of the 14, 15, and 16th season, seasons, he was on this crusade to be the best and asking questions. And he would ask the janitor how to hit a cut fastball. He would turn <laughs> around and ask the security guard, you know, how to get behind a ball and throw it with four seams because he wasn't getting enough carry on his, on his, on his throws from right field and Fenway. It was just unbelievable what he would do to find out what he could to get better. He is now the supervisor. He is now the one that's giving the advice. He is the one that people are soliciting to go out and say, how do you do this? How can I get better? And Mookie in his very special way is always willing to give somebody five minutes um you know i know that because one of our best players and Cattell Marte has asked me so many questions about Mookie Betts and i said you know why don't you go up and talk to him and he goes well no no he won't talk to me i said he will talk to you and i see them talking at second base whenever Mookie gets to second base and i see him talking in the outfield and pregame and stretching and he's always giving advice so it's it's come full circle for me he was the student now he's a little bit of the teacher that's pretty good. I like that. You yeah. Can, well, you, you, you can inter- hey, meet Mr. Betts. You ever thought you'd do that? Introducing your young player. <laughs> right. right? Uh, no, I would never, never. So two, two last things. The first yeah. is I want you to tell the Lou Whitaker story because, yeah. because just because I want to hear it one more time. Yeah. And, and second of all, I'm going to ask you to say why baseball isn't boring at the end. So, um, yeah, the Lou Whitaker story when he handed me his helmet because he thought I was a bat boy or how I got to the big leagues. No, no, come on. How you got to the big leagues. <laughs> no. Well, I appreciate this one. I, I don't tell the story very often, but I know it's one of your favorites. And you um, you got a great memory. I mean, it's in, once it's oh. in there, it's like a steel trap. It's well, awesome. listen, listen, there's 
when it comes to our relationship, Tori, there's yeah. there's certain things that you know are going to be, be brought up. For yeah. me, it's the Lou Whitaker story. For you, is imitating me running the marathon. So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, since I'm in, since I, I I'm in immobile right now, so are you. We'll not do the marathon imitation. But what's the Lou Whitaker story? Yeah, right. I mean, I was with you for 15 minutes the other day, and I told the story three times. Right? <laughs> that was great. That was great. You're right. You're right. Okay. Tori, so in case people don't know, I ran the marathon. This is in a nutshell. Tori was nice enough to come out to watch me run the Boston Marathon, and I ran right by you, and I'm and I'm literally I'm as like a 90 year old man of yeah. because you know it's a tw- it's the 22nd mile of a marathon. But Tori, for an entire year, every time I walked into the clubhouse, at, like if I was that my presence was there you would be imitating me running. Like, it wouldn't matter. And so, like you just said, I didn't even think about it, but you're right. Within a span of 10 minutes at the winter meetings in front of major league managers all over the place, you imitated <laughs> me at least three times. Anyway, anyway. Yeah. Uh, speaking, speaking, of, speaking of uh, speaking of immobile, immobile people, uh, yeah. tell the Ludwicker story. Yeah, so I was, a, um, I was just a young 23-year-old middle infielder that just got done with a triple-A season in Toledo, Ohio. I got drafted by the Detroit Tigers. I was making my way. I was making my way. I didn't know if I was going to be in, get to the big leagues. I hit 240 in my first two-month call-up in triple-A, and, and I, I came home and got a phone call. Um, they were trying to track me down in, from Detroit. They were in the in Yankee Stadium, and um, they were calling me up. They were going to – you know, it was a quick – Quick turnaround it was a year and a half after getting drafted, and it caught me by surprise. And I started to hear some grumblings once I got to the Yankee Stadium clubhouse about how how upset the some of the Tiger players were. And I guess the story is, and the folklore is that Lou Whitaker, um, who was one an All Star second baseman and and part of a double play. Uh, combination with Alan Trammell that was leading the way for the Detroit Tigers in the AL East. Um, went dancing. He went to Club uh, Studio Fifty Four. I don't think Studio Fifty Four. Studio Fifty Four, and it's documented, so I don't feel like I'm telling on him. But no, he, it's on Wikipedia he, page. He, yeah, he went to Studio Fifty Four. He did some unbelievable dance move, and it kind of the the crowd oohed and odd. And he he said he felt something in his knee, and he's like, "Well, they liked it so much, let me try it again." He tried it again. <laughs> Boom! There goes the knee. Here comes the young call up from AAA. You know what makes the story so much better is the fact that it was at Studio Fifty Four, and like yeah. we, we can think of like Andy Warhol's standing around watching or whatever. Uh, we'll, yeah. it's, we'll keep adding people, but that's a good story, and there's so many good. Like I, yeah, I'm not even going to go to the story. Yeah. But I, I, the last thing, and you've been very generous with your time as always. Um, I just want you to say uh, why baseball isn't boring because this is, you know, we've started this the podcast off of baseball not being boring. Um, we started the, the cause last January. We wrote the book and everything else. And everyone, Corey, everyone has a different answer. There's no right or wrong answer. Jonathan Papelbon says it's because grown men wearing tight pants and Eduardo Perez goes on for four minutes. You know, like, I'm like, oh my goodness, like put this in the hall of fame. Like, you know, John last, whoever it is, like everyone has, there's no wrong answer. And it can yeah. be as short as long as you want. So tell me, Tori Lavello, why isn't baseball boring? Well, it's not boring because um, every young kid is playing it, uh, you know, right now is a six, seven, eight, nine, ten year old. And it, the game doesn't change. It is still a kid's game. It's loved by many people. It uh, brings families together in attendance. Uh, it brings families together inside of a clubhouse. 
um, it's a little boy's game played by men and that that will never change. There's just there's a there's a familiarity to picking up a baseball and playing catch with somebody that never gets old. Boom. You got a book and a T-shirt. There you Ooh. go. I love it. All right. All right. Well, as always, right. Tuesdays with Tori, triumphant return. I appreciate it. You bet. Anytime. I'm glad I got the time uh, to spend with you and I always enjoy it.